Welcome to In the World, hosted by me, Rick Robinson, and sponsored by Billups. This podcast is an investigation and discovery into the role and responsibility of brands as they occupy public space. Hey, everybody, Rick Robinson here with our first installment of our podcast in the world for 2021. In fact, today is January 25th. Our topic today is why our lazy brain prefers out of home. And our guest is very unique. I can tell you before I introduce this fine gentleman that he has not worked at a media company. He is not employed by a billboard company. He's never been a CMO. He's never done a media plan. He's not part of a data analytics ad tech team. Uh, in fact, Dr. Michael Roth here, Mike Roth, as he likes to be called, um, has a degree in rhetoric and a few other things that has led him to this theory about why our lazy brain prefers out of home media. So Michael, give us a few of your credentials here. Sure. The, the first doctorate that I worked on explored the rhetorical function of literary genres. That is to say, I was trying to understand how different kinds of, of literature and different kinds of language impact the listener. And then the second degree that I was working on got into literary figures, really the meaning making of language. And when I got into the meaning making of language, it became very clear that language used to describe imagery uh, has a deeper, more pervasive impact on the brain than any other type of language. And so that became very exciting for me. And so I dove deeply into rhetoric, rhetorical theory, and then even some neuroscience to try and answer not only uh, how does language make meaning and capture attention, but why? Why does certain kind of language, specifically pictorial language, capture the brain's attention uh, more so than other kinds of language. And there we are. This is how we came together because as the listeners know, uh, I'm an out-of-home geek. Mike Roth here, Dr. Roth, is an out-of-home geek but didn't know it until he discovered the power of visuals and our bias toward that and why our lazy brain prefers visuals, which I quickly equated to prefers out-of-home media. So as we dive in, uh, and, and we're taking a different approach on, on the podcast format this year. We're, we're, we've got a video recording we're doing that has visuals in it. Uh, additionally, some of this will be distributed as audio only. So we'll try to try to paint some pictures and talk our way through the visuals. But what what Mike's going to do first, Dr. Roth here is, is tell us a little story based on this visual of an ox. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the fact that visuals are in our bones. It's, it's who we are as humans. It's how we communicate. How we're alert out in public space. And then we've actually got several examples, about 10, I think, from the 2020 Obie Awards, where we're going to get specific and how these visuals work and how they might create certain types of responses. So take it away. Dr. Roth, you have the screen. We see a picture of an ox. This is sort of an ancient-looking watercolor, very Asian-looking Chinese of an ox. What does this trigger for you? What story? Yeah, well, anyone who's been in advertising for a while has heard the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. And that comes out of the 20th century. Uh, but 
the notion that a picture is worth a thousand words is as ancient as humans. Uh, there's a very ancient Chinese story from about 3,000 years ago uh, that depicts the persuasive power in scene. And the story goes like this. There was a king and he was throwing a great banquet feast for his people. And everybody had been told that he was slaughtering an ox for the feast. But as he stood out on his terrace and he watched his servant bring that ox toward the town for slaughter, he felt as though he could see the ox tremble. And the presence of the ox caused him to decide, uh, you know what, I cannot slaughter this ox. So he called his servant and he said to his servant, hey, let's not slaughter the ox. Please take some sheep and some goats and we'll slaughter those. So that's what ended up happening. And in the story, the, the people were outraged. How could he give us sheep and goats instead of an ox? And, and he defended himself by saying, I'm giving you sheep and goats instead of the ox because I could see the ox. And I think this story, this ancient story tells us the same thing that a picture is worth a thousand words tells us, which is a picture. Uh, seeing something moves us in a way that simply language in and of itself without being pictorial does not. So, so that lends itself right to the phrase, I'll believe it when I see it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, and the notion that, you know, if we hear something, like if we hear something in the next room, we have to go in there and look, we need to see it for ourselves. Yes. And when we do, it becomes real. And, and are you saying that this inclination towards visuals creates more of an emotional response or it can? Absolutely. It creates more of an emotional response. It creates a deeper presence in rhetorical theory. This is called presence. So it's the idea of, a, of a, let's say you're walking through a forest, right, full of trees. And sometimes there will be a particular tree that, that stands out to you among all of those other trees. In that moment, that tree, that one tree in the midst of all of the other trees has taken the form of presence inside of you. And so all of a sudden you're paying attention to that particular tree because that tree has a presence that all of the other trees have yet to achieve. And pictorial language does that. And, and, and presence, it impacts our, our, our emotions, it impacts our thoughts, and it even has a different kind of impact on our uh, long-term memory storage in the brain. So in out-of-home media, that's the kind of impression we're looking for. We put up campaigns and we want to have presence for our campaign. When someone's driving down the street or walking through a train station, they see our campaign first. They have that emotional response and that longer-term memory, which, which goes to, to the next point here, which is how visuals are part of our bones. You, you had told me this earlier when we were talking, and by the way, Dr. Roth and I got to know each other in the last few weeks, a uh, few months, actually. Uh, you know, me coming at it from the street as an out-of-home geek and, and an artist, and Dr. Roth coming at it from academia, but both ending up in the same place, which is visuals are human, it's instinctive, it's in our bones, and out-of-home media is an extension of that. So I see a visual here of one of those classic cave paintings. I think this is the most recent find up in... Uh, in, in the Amazon basin, 
Uh, talk to us about what this means. Sure, we're being told that this cave painting is about 44,000 years old. And linguists and anthropologists like to argue uh, the chicken and the egg, what came first, the spoken word or the image, and, and they go back and forth on that. I do think if you consider humankind by way of just one human's development, you picture a child on a parent's lap, perhaps that child is beginning to, to grunt and moan and, and maybe even begin to articulate certain words, but they, they're doing so because they're looking at this picture book and they're seeing the world through their eyes. And so there's, there's something innate, there's something deep, there's, there's something in our bones regarding images, uh, images that can tell stories, images that can communicate ideas. And this cave painting along with so many others uh, just make very clear that imagery is as old as sapiens are. And the question being, did words or pictures come first I'm taking it that you think pictures did. I, I, I really do, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then now an extension of that is what happens when we're, we're out and about, when we leave the safe home habitat and, and we're out on the streets, a common statement from, from all folks in my industry in the out of home business is that people are more alert when they're outside. They're more inclined to look at what's going on. They go through this visual triage. It's, is that, is that true, Dr. Roth? It's absolutely true. And we just pulled up a third picture here. You can see uh, it's in a city, there are cars going both ways down these two busy roads. There are people walking across a crosswalk. And I, it, it's really clear, especially within evolutionary psychology, that we as humans are more alert when we get out into the world. And, and this goes this goes back to the earliest sapiens. They're, they're in their cave, they're by their fire, they're warm, they're safe. And then they, they go outside of that cave and they experience the wind blowing upon them or the rain falling upon them or the potential for there to be an enemy out there. And so deep, again, deep inside our bones is an increased awareness and alertness when we go out into the world. And, and, and so that's, so that's what's that what's that mean? Sorry, I, I know I just jumped over you and interrupted my apologies. I'm just excited about this. But now what's that mean by being alert? Does that mean that we're we're consuming everything around us? And, and are, are we then more inclined to be more sensitive to visual stimuli? Great question. Yes, we're, we're definitely more sensitive. Our sensitivity is elevated. And so we're, we're paying attention to more and we're taking more in with a heightened sensitivity. But with that being said, in neuroscience, there's this theory, which is really the eminent theory within neuroscience related to attention. It's called biased competition theory. Okay. And the biased competition theory was really uh, supported and defended by uh, these two neuroscientists, Robert Desmond and John Duncan in the late 70s, early 80s, when we were able to start connecting wires to people's brains to see what was actually happening when they were seeing things and, and thinking about things. And it became clear that, that biased competition is what is happening. And that is to say that the brain is constantly filtering inputs and stimuli. And, and what the brain ends up paying most 
close attention to is that which it has a bias for. And within my studies, it became very clear that the primary bias that the brain has is for the pictorial. And so if somebody is out in the world, not only do they have a heightened sensitivity, but when they see pictures and images, their brain has, has a preference for those pictures and images above all else, except probably for, for danger. <laughs> so now I have to ask the question, what kind of pictures? Because that, that's, what, that's what our audience is gonna wanna know. Great, we're, we're putting up visuals in out of home, but what types of visuals are gonna get the most attention when people are out in public space, extra alert, their limbic core ancient brain is firing on all cylinders. What kind of visuals work best? Great. Well, there's definitely a hierarchy when it comes to pictures. Uh, you think of um, people's basic needs being met. And so if they have particular needs that need to be met, then imagery that speaks to those needs will definitely stand out. But once we get past basic human needs, it's clear, at least from within my studies, that uh, active and lively imagery is, is that which has a pronounced um, impact on a person's attention. Dr. Ross, you, you just said that the brain has a preference when we're out in public space, when we're hyper alert, when we're out from our safe home habitat, that we prefer visuals and not only that, visuals that are active and lively. So I, I'm gonna need you to, to dive into that for us. And I noticed you have a new visual in front of us, which is one of the OB entries from 2020. It says save lives. It's got a giant 3D prop of a teddy bear for auto live, active and lively, talk to us. Yes, I think what works about this uh, is a few things. First, there, there's great alignment between the language that's being used to communicate its point. So our job is to save lives. And then the picture that we see, which is this, this teddy bear that is buckled up. And so the bear buckled up visually depicts what the language is trying to say. So there's alignment there. And, and then there's also a really brilliant use of the bear uh, as opposed, uh, for example, a, a child, I think a child would also work there, but, but the bear is really drawing on what rhetoricians call association. So many mm -hmm. of us have, have, have warm association toward a teddy bear, especially within our childhood, or perhaps we have children who love their teddy bears. And so it rouses this, this warmth, this empathy, this kindness toward the bear. And so you have language aligning with the picture you have this visual picture that even stand this is a 3d picture it's actually standing out on the sign and it's it's drawing on our association of empathy and love and care and so all of that i think is creating presence in a way that allows this sign to stand out in ways that other signs may not and other signs then would continue to just exist as a forest in the background so then are you saying, so I understand this, because on, we, we should have you on client pitches, first of all. I think we need to get you in the room with the clients to help sell the creative. Uh, but short of that, sure. looking at this example, and me interpreting you, the, the strong dominant visual of the teddy bear uh, 
in, in a seatbelt, which evokes emotions for us and familiarity and it's warm and fuzzy, literally. Uh, the alignment with saving lives in the name of the brand. All of that becomes easy to consume because we're inclined towards visuals. And then that makes it active and lively in our brain. That makes it uh, the, the tree come out from the forest to, to use your uh, rationale. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Well put. Awesome. Well, maybe by the end of this, I'll be able to try to apply for an honorary doctoral thesis on, on all of this. <laughs> um, so I, I know we have other images here. What's, what's the next one? Okay, this was for Traverse City, the classic side-by-side -side bulletins. Uh, a woman bouncing a beach ball to her child on the other side of the street. So the sort of two boards making one image. Can't wait to hear what you think of this one. Yeah, this, these two signs I think are brilliant. This has all the dynamics that create presence. So the background of the signs, you see the blue sky with the ocean and then the sand. And, and so as, as people are driving down this road, the, the pictures that they're seeing on either side of the road actually represent the, the backdrop that the skyscrape that they're seeing, there's a blue sky with white clouds. And so in, in some ways it creates the experience as though the driver is moving through the picture itself. But, but oh. what, yeah, what also stands out is the beach ball. So the, the, the beach ball's popping up just a little bit above the board and it definitely is in the woman's hands, the mom's hands are, she's either just throwing the ball or she's just catching the ball. And then on the other side of the road is the child and his hands are extended and so it's as though you're you're driving underneath this mom and child who are who are tossing a beach ball back and forth. So, so this absolutely creates presence. The presence and the fact that that our brains finish the puzzle, right? Yes. We we see the movement back yep. and forth, and that's a very interesting notion that you feel like you're driving into it. So the viewer is now part of the scene. In fact, maybe when they drive by it or under it, they think the beach ball is going over the top of their head. That's exactly um, right. And, you, and I love what you just said too, that, that the brain finishes the movement. That's absolutely right. Our, our brains crave uh, unity, order, and progress. And, and, and progress uh, has no better conclusion than fi finality, right? The, the, the words, the end are such a satisfying sound to our ears. And, and so even, <laughs> and, and so it's very, very possible and even likely that as people are driving through underneath past these two signs, they're finishing the story themselves. Absolutely. That is, that, this is terrific. I, you know, because it helps us better understand how our brain works in these situations. You know, we've always operated under the role that you want seven words or less, or you want one idea. I've said three elements, high contrast, one dominant element. And those are the, 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 the structure, the, the, that's sort of the armature that builds it. But what you're really saying is that let's consider the fact that people are hyper alert when they're outside. They want this, this singular visual moment to step out from the crowd, the, the tree from the forest, and we like, what did you call it? Progress and, and closure? What, what was that sequence of words there? The brain, the brain craves progress, unity, and order. 
progress, unity, and order. And so if out of home can deliver progress, unity, and order, it'll satisfy the craving of our brain to get just that when we're out in open space. All right, uh, show me the next one. I remember this now. Th this was for Lacey's Hope Project. I believe this was up in Portland. It's a PSA type messaging, a picture of a young lady in sepia tone and the headline over the top said, you can order her faster than a pizza. And this was uh, a project raising awareness for sex trafficking. So I'd asked you, Dr. Roth, to look at this because this, this isn't easy in the sense that there's just one dominant visual. Uh, there might even be a little bit of effort here to figure it out. Uh, there's not a, a tremendous amount of contrast. You've got red type on sort of a, a peach colored sepia background. Um, it takes a moment. It takes a moment. So how does this work on the brain? Great question. Yeah, this, this is provocative for sure. And I think it creates presence and it works for very different reasons than the beach ball being tossed across the highway. Uh, with this, we have red. Red is, is naturally a color that attracts attention. It tends to rouse emotion. And, and then there's this language, you can order her faster than a pizza. And, and so rhetorically, this is drawing on what rhetoricians call illusion, right? So we all know about ordering pizza. We've all ordered pizza and we've all ordered pizza from places that give us different promises, right? 30 minutes or free or, or, or whatever. So we, we all have the experience of ordering pizza. And so this language is, is playing on that experience and then it's, it's subverting it because suddenly we're not seeing a pizza here on the picture. We're seeing a young, a young woman. And, and, and so it's, it's provocative, it's subversive, it's drawing by way of illusion on experience, but, but it turns it on its head. And it really, it really uh, rhetorically causes one to pause. Uh, to pause. Now, what does this do for our desire for progress, order, closure. And, yeah, unity, progress, and order. Well, I would say for sure, by way of, of unity, there, there's unity in, in the language that's being used here between the, between the language, you can order her faster than a pizza in the picture. So there's, there's alignment. There's, there's not this unnecessary contrast or this, this unnecessary uh, disintegration that the, the picture and the language are saying the same thing. So there's, there's unity there. there. There's progress in the sense of finality. You don't have to figure it out. It's not a mystery or a riddle. It's very clear what it's trying to say. And, and in that way, there, there's great order uh, to the picture. Now that happens once you processed it, right? Cause I, cause I know looking at it first, it's like, wait a minute, she's not a pizza. Um, what's going on here? And then when you see the subhead up in the upper left, get sex trafficking facts, it all clicks, right? So, so that, that satisfies our, our desire to have everything make sense. Yes, and even your, your, your word click, right? The click, the aha, the, the moment where it all comes together, uh, that, that is exactly what unity, order, and progress create when, when it works well. I'm going to use that going forward. By the way, to all of our listeners, you're free to hijack and adopt any of these phrases or uh, 
talking points from Dr. Roth, uh, unity, order, and progress. That's what we're looking for when we're out on the streets, alert and highly visual. All right, what do you have for us next, Dr. Roth? This visual shows us a bus that's been wrapped to look like a fire truck for a movie playing with fire. And what's interesting here is that this is moving while the viewer is either fixed on the sidewalk or also moving. And, and going back to your earlier concepts about presence and, and active and lively imaging, uh, help us here, Dr. Roth. Why, does, why do we look at this? Why do we stop and look? Yeah, I, I think this works. It has, it does have several components to uh, that which creates presence. And so we've got, again, the color red, which is provocative. It attracts attention. It rouses uh, emotion. In the picture itself, you have uh, somebody climbing up a wall. You have a couple people standing. You have a little girl waving. And also in, in, in the picture, because this is a bus where people can sit on the top, you actually see see real people on the top as though they're part of this fire truck. And so you, you have people moving and then you very literally have the picture itself moving. So this is, I would say about as active as you can get with an advertisement. And so what really gives this presence, and, and again, we could talk about, is it a sustained presence? Is it a long-term memory presence, which is a little bit of a different conversation, but this is certainly capturing attention in the moment. Now, what happens to us when we're out on the street and we see something moving? Are, are we going to look at what's moving first before something that's fixed? Or is it the nature of the visual itself that jumps out first? Or, or, or does it matter? It does matter to a certain extent, and this touches on what rhetoricians talk about, uh, which is called the cocktail effect. And this is also connected to some neuroscience studies when they were trying to figure out how attention works. So imagine that you're in a room, you're at a party, there are dozens of people, there's all kinds of noise going on, and you're, you're having a conversation with somebody, as is everybody else in the room, when suddenly somebody drops that glass and it shatters on the floor. And, and just for a moment, everybody stops because that noise is louder than any other noise. And, and so in that moment, that glass breaking and that person who broke the glass has everybody's attention. Now, depending on the people, some might pay attention longer to see what happens next. Do they pick it up? Do they feel embarrassed? Uh, but eventually everybody's just going to go back to their conversations. And so I would say that this bus wrap uh, has the effect of, has the cocktail effect, right? It, for a moment, captures everyone's attention. Now, will that- Because you're, you're, yeah, you're looking saying, what is that, right? What is that? Why is that there? Is that a fire truck? Is it just a bus? Exactly. I've got to decipher it. It's the same thing with when somebody drops the, the cocktail glass, I hear the noise. I look, because I need to confirm what I've heard. Oh, everything's okay. That doesn't involve me. Um, or maybe that's my friend. Oh my God, you're embarrassing me in front of all these other people. Exactly. It all depends on context. Exactly. Fascinating. Yeah, and, when, and when you talk about the click, the getting it, I would say that if, if the rhetorical function of the advertisement uh, causes the cocktail effect, it's, it's 
it's even more important that the click happens as fast as possible because the attention the attention could shift quickly from a cocktail effect. So they need as soon as they see it, they need to be able to see what it's trying to communicate. It, it needs to happen that fast. So grab my attention, but solve it quickly. Absolutely. If you make me linger, I'm something else might get my attention. Exactly. I'll move on. You know, I've always said people don't wake up in the morning with a list of things to do. And one of those items on their list is consume out of home media. But you will stop and consume anything visual in your pathway if it jumps out front, if it gets your attention, and then maybe creates that sort of disconnect on unity and, and progress and order. Like, oh, does this make sense to me? Do I even need to solve it? Uh, if I do, is this relevant to me? All those pieces to the puzzle. Oh, this is juicy stuff. All right, what, what do you have next for us? Oh, this is terrific. This is the AT&T campaign that was really all about neighborhood and context. The headline here says it's a 213 thing. And I remember seeing these in New York and in LA. You know, it's an 818 thing. It's a 212 thing. It's a 323 thing. And it was all about area code and that, that sort of... Um, you know, ownership of my, my neighborhood, my, my district, boundaries, place. Talk to us about this. Yes. Yeah, so I would say that this works for different reasons from what we've been talking about. It's not necessarily active. This is certainly bright by way of colors. There's yellows and, and bright blues and some red in the background. So it's got color going for it. But what's going to stand out and what makes this work is the locality of the advertisement. So it's a 213 thing. Rhetorically speaking, and I would even say uh, through evolutionary psychology, what we know works here is sapiens preference for, for locality. Another word there might be tribalism, right? We, we love in general where we live. We have a bias for where we live. And so that 213, that area code that associates you with where you call home, home, uh, th those two work together to, to draw you in and, and not just try and understand what's being said, but there's an inherent appreciation due to the locality. So context, right? Familiarity. It's a good word. Um, th this is mine. And with context and familiarity comes credibility. It's somebody I know. It's one of my tribe. It's part of me. And in this case, this informed the out of home format selection quite well because this is a bodega, one sheet, down at eye level in a neighborhood, something I'm going to see very frequently. I'm going to see it on my way to or from home or somewhere else in my neighborhood. Very familiar. Very familiar. Yeah, um, I think that's a great. I think that's a great point. So placement, right? If you're really trying to make the connection and draw attention through locality, then, then placement's going to be big here. And so you're going to have many of the same people who live in that neighborhood going into this little market, seeing that. And, and those are the very kinds of people that are going to appreciate and pay attention to uh, the, the locality that, that it's drawing on. And conversely, if they're not from that neighborhood, they'll be reminded, right? Because they're not part of the 213 in this case. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. This is fun. What's next? Okay, we have a picture here. This is for Baycare. This is emergency services. 
and it's it's two opposing icons. On the left, it's got a picture of uh, a young lady with her hands and knees, you know, kind of crossed. Clearly, um, might need to go to the restroom. And a head above it, it says UTI. I think that stands for urinary tract infection. And the header under that says this is urgent care, meaning you got a UTI that's urgent care. On the right, adjacent to it, it says MRI, and it's a horse kicking somebody in the head, and that's emergency care. So there's this sort of like this or that going on, left and right, walk, stop, yes, no. Um, and it's all in a very blue background, which is sort of neutral to the visuals. So the first thing you see are these visuals, the, the, the uh, icon of, of the young lady with the knees crossed and the icon of the horse kicking the, the man or human figure as it is. Why does this work? Yeah, great question. The, yeah, the blue is, 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 a, is a muted color. It's almost a, a calming, a cal it creates a calming presence. I, I think also blue evokes uh, the, the desire or need for clarity. And that's really what this is doing. And, and, and the pictures, even though they're very simple pictures, they're active pictures. The, the, the woman is, you know, legs crossed, arms over herself, the horse is kicking, the person who's flying backwards. So there's the activity that we've talked okay. about creates presence. So so that's happening. But one thing that I like about this that's different from the previous slides that we've looked at is there's inherent um, binariness to this picture. It's it's either or, it's one or the other. And and the lazy brain, I think another way to say it would be the brain's desire for efficiency, the, the brain's desire for efficiency has a preference for the binary, the either or, the this or that. And, and so this, this, this works really well because not only does it touch on what the brain is longing for in efficient binary decisions, but it's also communicating a point. For these kinds of things, you go to urgent care, and for these kinds of things, you go to emergency care. So I think it works and this, well. And this goes back to, and I just keep relating it to, to the broader picture, us being visual to our bones, alert when we're out in public space. And some of these points you've, you've talked about through these examples is our desire to not only respond to what's most active or prominent in front of us, but then solve for it. Why is that there? Yes. What does this mean to me? So, so I can kind of take it and put it aside. It, it seems to me what you're describing is that we go through this visual, almost triage when we're out and about. Absolutely. And it's, it goes back to survival mechanism. You know, we see these visuals, yes, no, uh, friend, foe, helpful, not helpful, irrelevant. And we just process that lightning fire. And part of that stream coming at us are examples of out-of-home media. And so the theory being, if out-of-home media practitioners understand this better, if they understand this dynamic better, uh, they, can, they can jump to the front of the line right? and, and not only be seen, but be remembered. Um, I think we have one last example, right? Okay, for Vice, these are these are phone kiosk posters in New York City, and uh, it's F blank C K it, we'll do it live, and these are pictures that are um, 
you know, disruptive somewhat. There's uh, unexpected outcomes here, a fire extinguisher on fire, a goldfish in a blender full of water, somebody's foot on a dartboard with a dart between their big toe and second toe, and sort of arresting images that uh, I think either speak to danger or impending danger or wait, that doesn't look right. I, I've often called this disruption of expectation. Uh, it doesn't compute. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this one? How does this one work? Yeah, a couple thoughts. Um, first, I'd go back to the cocktail effect, right? So, so the, these pictures are very provocative, and and it is the provocativeness that draws us to paying attention to what it is that they're trying to communicate. And then when you talk about this, the the subversion of expectations, I think that also draws us in. And and rather than unity, order, and progress these are intentionally creating the opposite. It's, cre it's creating a lack of unity, a lack of order, and a lack of progress. And, and so for those who are, who are willing to pause and reflect, then they're going to have an experience with this, almost like trying to solve a mystery or trying to put a puzzle together. What exactly is this trying to communicate to me? And, and, and for those who are, who are patient enough to take a few seconds, to take a few minutes to try and figure that out, these are going to work very, very well. Since we see this sometimes with what we call teaser payoff campaigns. You know, there, there's an image that doesn't make sense and then it's up there for a week. You go back a week later and there's a payoff that solves the puzzle. Why is it we need to solve these puzzles? Why can't we just look at this and, and blow it off, just walk by? Yeah, again, there is just deep need in the human brain for unity, order, in progress. I mean, going all the way back to why do we look up in the sky and, and why are we why are we not satisfied with just being able to say stars, right? Why do we have to come up with constellations and then and then come up with Orion and Orion's belt? There, there's, <laughs> there's something in us that that just has to put it all together and to make sense of it. Sure. Is that why when we're on an elevator we watch? the uh, the floors go by? Yeah, I'd say that for sure. And also, you know, uh, being a little bit uncomfortable in a small space with a lot of people, that definitely touches on our, our concern and need for, for safety and, and the sense safety. Of, of, of being outside of the tribe with strangers. Wanted to say thank you, Dr. Roth, Mike, Mike Roth, but I like calling you Dr. Roth. I want to thank you for your insight and time. You may not know it, but you are a marketer. You belong in an ad agency. Uh, you belong in the media department. Um, you've really taught us quite a bit. I think many of us knew this instinctively, or we felt it, or we've experienced it firsthand when we're out and about on the streets and we see a great piece of out of home and we stop and point and say, hey, that's cool. I wish I would have done that. We, we kind of smile. We sort of appreciate it in our day. But now we know why. We, we know that our brains, our lazy brains, simply has a bias for visuals. We, we like visuals that jump out and take the tree and remove it from the forest. It creates a presence because it's active and it's lively. And, and I wrote this down because I wanted to get it right. Our brains crave unity, order, order, and progress. I'll say that again. Our brains crave unity, order, and progress, especially when we're hyper alert and we're out in the public space. 
So those visuals are the triggers, all kinds of visuals, out of home media, part of that. And for every one of those, we need to figure it out. It needs to click. Why is that here? And, and what's that mean to me? So what I want to do is, first of all, get permission. I want to invite you back. Are you going to be okay with that? Absolutely. Uh, this was fun. Really fun. Yeah, I really would love to do an ongoing thing where we show you creative and get your feedback on it. And I want to make sure all of the listeners out there have access uh, to Dr. Roth. You can reach him at Mike at SinusureCrafting.com. And I'm going to spell this out. Mike, M-I-K-E, at C-Y-N-O-S-U-R-E, crafting, C-R-A-F-T-I-N-G.com. Mike at SinusureCrafting.com. I want to thank you again for your time. To everybody out there uh, in the world, keep your head up and your eyes open and look for those moments of presence. Look for those moments where there's, there's active or lively images in front of you. And ask yourself if you're really seeking unity, order, and progress. Thanks, everybody. Take care.